Uh, well, today our guest speaker is Dan Pejos, and Dan is a franchise owner of Home Instead right down the street from us. He's been doing it for 18 years, right? And uh, Dan and Andrea Pejos and their children are members of our church, been members of over 17, say 18, 19 years, been here for a while. Uh, I, I will tell you this, Dan and Andrea and his family are, are well-loved by our church family. They are fantastic believers, uh, great, uh, great servants, and uh, uh, we are thrilled to have Dan with us. So, Dan, you come and, and share with us as, as you see fit. Thank you, I got it. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate that. It's uh, rather unique to be standing here and not sitting with my BFF, Rob Evans, but uh, I'll try and do the best I can here. So Pastor Danny is, I believe, in Salt Lake City and asked me last month to uh, continue his leadership series. So, of course, what I did was search on Amazon.com to see how many leadership books there are, and there are over 153,000 leadership books on Amazon.com. Now, being an Amazon Prime member, I, of course, ordered every one of them. I read them diligently the last month, and I've distilled them down to the nine leadership qualities that I've experienced um, to help inspire. So no need to read, Melvin, the rest of the books. This, this is it, okay? Um, as Gary said, my name is Dan Pejos. Um, you may be wondering why I like hockey real quick. Um, I'm a native of St. Paul, Minnesota. I met my wife in 1993, fell in love, moved here, and uh, this is home for me now. I've been here 23 years and, um, and, and enjoy it tremendously. So the company I started back in 1997 is called Home Instead Senior Care. I've learned a lot over the years, and I appreciate Danny giving me the opportunity just to kind of talk a little bit about the experiences that I've had as an a, a entrepreneur and business owner. So let's dig into it here. Number one, endeavors succeed or fail because of the people involved. In a knowledge-based economy, your best assets are your people. My company, I have about 250 employees. We have no products to sell. We're just a service. People use my service not because they want to, but because they need to. And we have to understand that value proposition each and every day. And that's a difficult thing to convey to consumers who may not really want your service, but they need your service. We've heard this expression so often that it's become trite uh, as far as our assets are our best people, but too often people are assumed to be empty chess pieces to be moved around by chess masters, which may explain why so many top leaders immerse their calendar time in their office, not wanting to really engage with their folks. How many immerse themselves in the goal of creating an environment where the best, the brightest, and the most creative are attracted, retained, and most importantly, unleashed. In my organization, and this is fairly unique for me to say because I stand here very humbled knowing that I've had this business for 18 years, but we've had uh, four employees, or we still have four employees that have been with us for over 10 years. It's been my privilege, privilege and honor to actually see them start at this level as an entry-level employee and help engage them uh, help them in their knowledge, help them in their desire, and they've made careers in our company. And now two of those are managers. I rely on them tremendously. And it's just very satisfying to know that as a leader, you can help shape people's lives. So as you think of your position in your company, whether you're 
um, you know, in the warehouse, whether you're a sales rep, um, even in your personal life, if um, you know, you're the leader of your house, which we are as men, uh, if you're on the mission field, either um, here or abroad, you know, think of the things that you need to, to do to become a leader in your organization. Leaders don't create followers. They create more leaders. Obviously, we need followers, but my definition of a leader is that we create more leaders. And that's actually, as we've grown in our company, allowed me to work what I call more on my business and less in my business. So I pretty much get out of their way and let my leaders and empower them do what they need to to further our organization. Leaders look for character, loyalty, judgment, a balanced ego, and the capacity to anticipate. Say that again. Leaders look for character, loyalty, judgment, a balanced ego, and a capacity to anticipate. One of the verses in the Bible that I look towards is 2 Timothy 2, 15. It says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, this next uh, part here, the 15 most important words, is very simple but very impactful. And uh, I learned this from a mentor probably 10, 12 years ago, so I thought I'd share that with you. What I found, the 15 most powerful powerful words you can tell um, anybody, whether you're in a meeting or they're your uh, supervisor or uh, you, you report to them, number one, I'm proud of you. It goes a long way if you just give someone a little pat in the back. I'm proud of you. Give them some little wins, some successes. Ask them, what is your opinion? It shows that you really value their opinion. You want to know what they have to offer. And if you, as a leader, don't ask your, your um, uh, employees what they think, they probably don't think that you care. Will you please? I'll try telling that one to my teenagers. Um, we try, but uh, they're getting better. But will you please? It goes a long way just to ask whatever you need. If it's a favor, it's, if it's uh, asking them to complete a project. I started out by saying, will you please? Um, thank you. Obviously, it goes without saying, it's nice to be thanked. And then lastly... Uh, the sweetest sounding word in any language is their name. Whatever your name is, make sure that you repeat the name, say their name, look them in the eye. Um, it's interesting how many people don't really say a person's name when they're talking to them. Um, I have found that if you repeat their name, it does, does make a difference. Leaders are lifelong learners and have a natural curiosity. As far as a lifelong learner goes, um, I'm kind of a geek. I, I read a lot. That's never been an issue for me, but when I started my company, I read every book I could on leadership, on sales, on organizational structure, on scaling um, within my industry. Um, and I have found that many leaders in the research that I've uh, looked at, many leaders um, that achieve a certain level of success 
uh, continually read and continually, continually learn. Um, I would actually kind of call myself an idiot savant because I know my industry very well. I've been doing this for 18 years. I get a lot of people, a lot of friends call me for advice, which I'm glad to give out freely. Um, but there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And so I tend to double down on what I do know. And uh, I try and learn and keep myself um, from a broader perspective uh, aware of what's going on in the world. But I find that if I go narrow and deep, uh, the most successful leaders tend to have that intimate knowledge of their industry. Um, Curiosity. Always asking questions. A long time ago, I had a sales manager, and he would always ask the same question to every person we met in that vendor. We'd meet the CFO, and he'd ask a certain question. We'd meet the plant manager, and he'd ask the same question. We'd meet the HR person, and he'd ask the same question. And I said, Keith, why are you asking that same question over and over again? He said, well, did you listen to the response? You know, everyone brings their biases to that question. So the sales manager, do you think he was pretty, pretty rosy in his outlook for whatever that question was compared to the HR person? Yeah, probably. So I learned the natural curiosity about things really helps, um, I think, with being a leader. I was at a conference the other week, and uh, one of the speakers said this, so I thought it was worthwhile mentioning. Those who don't read barely have an advantage over those who can't read. If you think about it, you have, you have a gift. You can read. There's a lot of people in the world that can't read. So those that don't read barely have an advantage over those that can't. Um, and then personally, establish a routine for yourself. That allows me to, with all the things going on in my life, um, all the demands of my time, to make sure that I carve out what's important, which is my quiet time, my Bible time. Um, so establishing a routine will help as well. Keep looking below the surface, or keep looking below surface appearances. And what I mean by that is don't shrink from doing so just because you might not like what you find. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, is a slogan of the complacent, the arrogant, or the scared. It's an excuse for inaction, a call to non-arms. It's a mindset that assumes or hopes that today's realities will continue tomorrow in a tidy, linear, and predictable fashion. In this sort of culture, you won't find many people who proactively take steps to solve problems as they emerge. Um, Kevin, would you show the... So, in my company, we use drug testing for all of our employees. If we're going to have a home health aide um, coming out to your home, we want to make sure that all our home health aides have been criminally background checked and drug tested. So, uh, for years, when I started the first four years, I used this company called iCup, and we did do self-testing. And so, I think a Saturday morning, my son was probably six or seven, he tags along with me sometimes at work, and uh, I'm sitting at my desk, and all of a sudden I hear this giggling in the closet. And I said, buddy, is that you? And he said, yeah, daddy. And he said, what's so funny? He said, come here. And he pointed to the boxes where the iCup is, the drug testing kits. And he said, daddy, is this where all your employees go potty in? <laughs> I said, yes, son, they are. And he said, that's funny because it says ICUP. <laughs> now, I had this vendor and I... I think uh, probably thousands of drug tests. 
I never saw that. I saw I cup. And then my six-year-old sees ICUP. And I say that because you never know what perspectives you're going to find if you just keep your mind and your eyes and your ears open. Um, so I just use that as an example to say that was quite interesting for me to have that vendor for four years and not see that. I'm sure some of you probably already saw that as soon as I put that up, but I, I did not. I did not. Okay. Leaders need to nurture three important, three important relationships. First, I believe, as a leader, you need to find a mentor. I think of my parents, obviously. I think of my wife um, as helping me in my journey. I'm going to use a quick example, though. I just decided to quit my job in 1996, and I thought I would start this company called Homestead Senior Care. And, of course, I did a lot of research. I did a SWOT analysis. That's the strengths, the weaknesses, opportunities, threats. I put a business plan together like you would. And um, I, I was married in 1995, Andrew and I. And so I had this new father-in-law um, in 1996. And uh, Don Alvey started and, and owned Don's Carpet One here in town. So quite a successful company, um, four locations at its peak. And uh, I thought, who better to give my idea to, to review, than my new father-in-law. So I gave him my research and my business plan, and I said, Don, would you look at this, and would you kind of give me your um, feedback on it? I'm thinking of quitting my job, and, of course, that's not a good thing to tell your new father-in-law. <laughs> but he said, sure, and we'll grab lunch. So uh, I went to Trustville, where the office is, and we went to Joel's restaurant, and we sat down and did the niceties and talked a little bit, and I said, so, Don, what do you think of the... Uh, what do you think of my idea? Of course, I was super pumped, right? And um, I think back to Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Remember when he's writing that theme and he imagines that he's written the best theme in the world and the teacher says, A plus, 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 plus. Well, I had that same kind of gung-ho attitude. And I was expecting just an awesome response because, hey, it's the elderly. It's um, you know a booming business in the next 20, 30 years. And... Uh, I really researched my strengths, my weaknesses, and so I was expecting a pretty good answer. You know what he said? He said, Dan, I wouldn't touch this business with a 10-foot pole. I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, I've had my business for 23 years. I have numerous employees, and I have managers, and I still probably spend a third of my time either with customer issues or employee issues. And I have not as many employees as you're talking about. You're talking about probably quadruple the number of employees that I have. What that did was really give me pause, and it really made me understand that he told me what I needed to hear, and no one else did. And at, at, at that point, it was all Pollyanna. It was, it was theory, but he kind of brought it home into reality in practical and pragmatic terms for me. So I always remember that moment, and that really kind of helped me understand what I was getting myself into. And I don't think I'd have probably the same resolve, and I don't think I probably would have had the same success early on had I not had that conversation with my new father-in-law. Um, secondly, you need to be um, a mentor. I'm sorry, I missed one. You need to be a peer. B. You need to be a peer. It's important, no matter what role you have in life, um, 
you know, at church here, we do a good job of um, having iron sharpen iron. So there are many places as a man, as a husband, as a father that I can go to resource and learn how to uh, better further that endeavor that I'm involved with. Professionally, I would encourage you, no matter your station in life or your position in your company, find a peer. I'm not talking about the peer that you go to lunch and, and gripe about your boss and you gripe about things. I'm talking about a peer who you admire, someone that you look up to, someone that you um, is in your same level in the organization, but that you feel is um, doing some special things and you could probably learn from. Um, I've done that as well. Uh, for me, I've become a member of two entrepreneur organizations here in town, and we meet monthly. And we're in non-competing industries. We lock the door for a day, and we talk about issues that only business owners can really talk about because it is kind of lonely at the top. It is difficult. I can't share certain things and tell you that I just took a second mortgage on the house. You know, my employees don't want to hear that because <laughs> I can't make cash flow. Uh, but I've done that, and it's a good outlet. So I would encourage you to find a peer relationship as well as a mentor. And lastly, um, I believe you need to be a mentor. Again, it matters not what you're doing in, in life, what your station is. Um, you could be a greeter at Walmart, but you need to find someone to be a mentor. Um, I spoke yesterday at Birmingham Southern College to two um, senior entrepreneurial classes for seniors. Um, it's a lot of fun. I hang out uh, probably at least three times a month, four times a month at the Innovation Depot, which is a local incubator here in town for new startups. You know, for me... That's my geeky self. That's what I'm good at. I'm, I'm very deep and narrow and, and expert in my field, but I also know there's a lot of new um, uh, technologies and new companies starting up, and these incubators are where those people tend to go. And it's a lot of fun to kind of see the, um, the vibrancy and the, um, I think back 18 years ago, and I still do, but the, uh, the fire in their belly and the brightness in their eyes as they start their companies, but they don't know how to scale. They don't have ideas on cash flow. And those are things that I've had many arrows in my back with and I have some experience with. So it's a lot of fun to be able to help contribute to some of those startups. Leaders make difficult decisions decisively to share a clear vision. Sometimes decisions seem impossible, but a leader recognizes the true issues and makes quick and confident decisions to prevent any ambiguity or confusion. Um, I like a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. He said, In any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing, the next best thing you can do is the wrong thing, and the worst thing you can do is nothing. Believe me, the worst thing you can do is nothing. You have to act on something. Um, as we grew in sales at my company, a lot of times I would defer, I would um, wring my hands, I wasn't sure what the next step would be, but it kind of forced me as you grow, you've got to, when my staff says, Dan, we're underwater here, we can't really get up for air, we need another employee, and you just kind of go, yeah, but we don't have the cash flow to do it. Well, you got to do it. So um, decisions need to be made decisively and need to be shared with a clear vision. Being responsible sometimes mean, means making people mad. Being responsible sometimes means making people mad. Good leadership involves the responsibility to the welfare of the group, which means that some people will get angry at your actions and decisions. It's inevitable if you're honorable. Trying to get everyone to like you is a sign of mediocrity. 
You'll avoid the tough decisions, and you'll avoid confronting the people who need to be confronted. Ironically, by procrastinating on the difficult decisions or difficult choices, and by trying to get anyone not get anyone mad, you'll simply ensure that the only people you'll end up angering are the most creative and productive people in the organization. That hit home for me when I had an employee who had been with me for about three years, and I was five years in business. She wanted to grow with the organization. Um, she resigned one day, which floored me. I had no clue. And I asked her what was the reason. She said, well, Dan, you spend too much time dealing with fires and problems and issues, and every time I ask you, can I meet with you, because I want to learn about this, or I'd like to have more responsibility with that, your email, your response is, yeah, we'll get to it. Um, when she came to me and said, I'm resigning because I got another offer from another home care company, another home health care company, that was a rude awakening for me to understand, yeah, I'm spending too much time on the wrong things. I'm not spending my time where I need to, which is developing my A players and finding the people that are engaged in my business who desire and want to. Um, trying to get everyone to like you is a sign of mediocrity, as I mentioned. So a formula that I, I, I found, and this is um, courtesy of General Krulak at Birmingham Southern College, but the formula is P equals 80. P equals 80, where P is the probability of success, and 80 is the percentage of information acquired. So in order to make decisions at some point when you're in the 80 range, you've got to go with your gut. You've got to make a decision. Those that tend to want to wait until they have 100% of the information, you never will. You'll never have 100% of the information. You've got to acquire it. You've got to research it, look at it. There's no question. But the probability of success is going to equal when you've acquired about 80% of the information you need, and then you've got to make a decision, pull the trigger, and go with it. Again, because one of the worst things you can do is do nothing. The day your people stop bringing you their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help them, or they concluded that you do not care. If this were a litmus test, many leaders would fail. One, they build so many barriers to upward communication that the very idea of someone lower in the hierarchy looking up to the leader for help is ludicrous. Two, the corporate culture they foster often defines asking for help as a weakness or a failure. So people cover up their challenges and the organization suffers accordingly. Real leaders make themselves accessible and available. They show concern for the efforts and challenges faced by their people, and even as they are demanding high, result, uh, high standards. Or accordingly, they are more likely to create an environment where problem analysis replaces blame. Um, this is a tough one for a lot of leaders, um, me as well. I learned the hard way. Thankfully, the mistakes I made did not sink the ship, but um, it's, a, it's a tough one. Five, leaders encourage the right kind of failures. In most every organization that I've studied or looked at or experienced in my company, um, we have a mantra in terms of leaders encourage the right kind of failures. We fail early, we fail fast, and we fail often. And what do I mean by that? Well, 
if we're going to try something, if I want to do a, a new learning curriculum uh, for our home health aides, and I believe this is the next step we need to learn more about, let's say it's Alzheimer's, well, instead of spending $100,000 in something I think, um, I'm going to spend $3,000 testing it out. Uh, I've got a built-in Petri dish, Petri dish with our, uh, our, our customers, our clients, uh, and, of course, a built-in Petri dish with all of our employees. So we take little steps, little baby steps. You know, we crawl before we walk, before we run. So we fail quick, we fail often, and we fail early. Good and bad as far as failures. Good is intelligent risk-taking. Bad is lack of ability. Focus on the solutions rather than trying to attach blame for failure. And it just goes without saying. Focus on solutions rather than trying to attach blame for failure. Delegate responsibilities to those best equipped to complete them, then step back and allow their employees to accomplish what they were hired to do. I've learned that from that example way back when, when I didn't let that employee grow with my organization, to hire good people, give them the accountabilities that they need, give them and empower them the things they need to make decisions on their uh, day-to-day job, and then I get out of their way and I let them do their thing. Um, tough lesson, lesson for me to learn, but I've learned it over the years. Um, leaders are almost always great simplifiers. Leaders are almost always great simplifiers. Leaders can cut through argument, debate, and doubt to offer a solution everybody can understand. Their decisions are crisp and clear, not tentative or ambiguous. They convey an unwavering firmness and consistency in their actions aligned with a picture of the future they paint. The result is clarity of purpose, credibility of leadership, and integrity in the organization. One of the most important things I can do from an operational standpoint in my company is spend, when we have new hires, we, we have a, a couple-day orientation and, and, and training. I spend an hour to an hour and a half with every new class. And my staff knows they're not to interrupt me unless my house is on fire or there's a family emergency. But I feel it's very important for that new employee to understand what the leader of the organization is like, um, what my culture is, where I want them to fit in the organization, what they can do, uh, what our customers expect of them. So I spent about an hour and a half telling my story, telling them uh, what the most important attributes are that families look for in the service we provide and the type of service that they're going to be doing, and, of course, answer any questions. And so it really does help when we have our employee appreciation days. I usually get a a lot of uh, hugs, and we're kind of a hugging company. Um, That's what we do when we take care of the elderly. And uh, it, it, it's very gratifying. Uh, but one of the most important things I can do operationally is spend that hour and a half whenever we have a hiring class. Um, KISS, which is pretty simple. Keep it simple, stupid. I know that's trite and everyone knows it. Um, I, I think if Rob Thomas were here, he'd probably already fill that one out. Is Rob? I don't think Rob's here, but he likes to fill those out beforehand. Um, keep it simple, stupid. Vision. Culture and priorities are lean and compelling. The visions, culture, and priorities are lean and compelling. Leaders actually do have fun in their job. Number seven, leaders do have fun in their job. 
Seek people who have a balance in their lives, who are fun to hang out with, who like to laugh at themselves, and who have um, some non-job priorities which they approach with the same passion they do their work. Take a break when when you've really earned it. Take a break when you've really earned it. Celebrate those successes. Take their, uh, they take their work seriously, but not themselves. Um, I always say, kind of spare me the grim workaholic attitude. I usually find opportunities with other uh, companies for those employees um, when I have those workaholics that seem to have the martyr syndrome. I do. Um, and they're fun to hang out with. Quick story. Um, I was a teenager. and Here's the context. My, my mom... Um, would drive from her house to the doctor to get her INR checked for her Coumadin levels, and my office is in between the two. So she'd stop in the office and she'd kind of hold court and she'd tell stories about Dan when he was a young kid to my employees. You know, how embarrassing is that? But that's what moms do, right? So one time, my mom is, uh, I guess, out front, and uh, more and more employees are kind of gathering in the lobby. And here's a story she told. She said, When Dan was about 14, you know, we went shopping for clothes. It was End of the summer, we're going to start school. And, of course, back then, I grew up, you know, in the 70s, 80s. Um, I've got the corduroy pants on. I've got the hush puppy shoes. I mean, I've got the, the a sweater with the collar on. It looked like Greg Brady. You know, I had the hair and everything. Um, and I'm up on where the mirrors are, if you remember, as a kid. You know, you stand there, and they've got the three mirrors, and I'm looking around. And so, Mom, how does this look? And uh, she says, hmm, I don't think so. And she looks at the sales rep, and I said, what? She says, no, they're a little too tight in the crotch. Um, yeah, they're, they're not going to work. They're a little too tight in the crotch. You know, you look at that kind of thing, and you kind of go, my mother is telling that story to my employees. How embarrassing, okay? But those are the kind of things that, you know, you just have to kind of roll with and know, um, you know, mom's going to tell those kind of stories. That's what she's going to tell so we have fun with ourselves, and no one takes ourselves too seriously. Um, leaders are consistently persistent. They do the 10-mile march every day. And by that, I mean research has indicated if you do the same things every day as opposed to, let's say, doing 20 miles today, we'll take a break, and then we'll do 20 miles the next day. Uh, research shows that if you consistently do the same 10-mile march every day, you do the same things um, you don't take a, a big break on the little building blocks, um, you'll actually progress further than if you just took a lot of those um, breaks. Never give up. Um, leaders inspire trust. Do as I do, not as I say. That goes without saying. Um, I had a finance manager when I first started to finish the um, power lunch here. Probably about my third year in business, um, I had a vendor who owed us $3,000 which is a lot of money for me back then. And they were behind about 60 to 70 days. Um, my finance manager called me and she said, Dan, I've got some good news and bad news. And I said, what is that? She said, well, uh, we got a check from that vendor. And I said, good. What's the bad news? And she said, well, the check is for $30,000, not for $3,000. Now, I had had trouble making payroll. I certainly could have used that $30,000 for payroll and just not talked or told the vendor and maybe played a little bit of that game of, Hey, I didn't realize it was 30000 I didn't know. She was looking at me, though, because she was waiting for an answer. I looked at her and said, and she knew that we were kind of not going to make payroll next week unless we had some miraculous invoices come in. Um, and I said, yeah, we need to go ahead and just call that vendor and let them know that they put an extra zero 
on the wrong side of the decimal point um, or a few zeros. So she did that. Um, now, later on, I found out about a year later that she said, you know, Dan, I was looking for another job back when, when you had that issue because um, it paid more. But she said that issue came up, and I saw the integrity that you had, um, the leadership that you had, and she said, I knew this is the organization that I want to um, grow and stay with, and she's been with me for many, many years. She's been with me for 11 years. So those are the kind of things that people look at your actions. Um, they don't look at what you say. They look at your actions. Hey, it's been really fun to um, talk to you guys today. Uh, I appreciate you having me. Um, and as you part, uh, please have God with you and know that um, there's a lot of, as I said, good books. There's 150,000 books. The most important book in leadership I've ever read is the Bible. Um, open it up. Read it. There are so many Old Testament, New Testament stories about leadership. Um, you just can't uh, find anything better than what's in the Bible. Guys, have a great week. Thanks so much for coming.